The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday. We got to break down USC's disappointing 30 to 27 loss in South Bend to the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. We got the coach Harvey Hyde on the line. He's going to break down what he saw in South Bend and give you his takes on where USC stands, the halfway point of the season. USC is three and three, three home wins, three road wins. Losses. So we'll talk about all that. We got a lot of questions from you guys, as you can imagine. Podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address if you'd like to write in and ask us anything. And you can also call in and send us a text in. 424-254-9141 is the number. That's 424-254-9141 if you'd like to call us or text us any kind of questions you have. We have some voicemails to get to, text messages, lots of emails. Lots of things to get to. We do appreciate you listening. If you want to subscribe on any of the podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, all that kind of stuff, you can go there. And if they have a a place where you can give us some kind of review, a rating, five stars is awesome. Anything positive you could say about the show and tell your friends about the Peristyle Podcast. This is our 12th football season. We're halfway through, which is crazy, our 12th football season Covering the Trojans here on the Peristyle Podcast, by far the longest-running USC football podcast out there. So thanks for being a part of it. And without further ado, let's talk to the coach. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing, man? Well, Coach, um, I'm calling you Coach now. Coach Ryan like Abraham. It. First thing I want to do is thank you very much for joining me on our show that we do uh, once a month at the Salabella Pizzeria in Pasadena. You came up uh, last Thursday. We had a great time. We had a lot of good friends there. They enjoyed the broadcast. And I was on the other end. I was asking the questions to you. And I think a lot of the things we discussed came true. But rather than uh, do all the show with my opening remarks, the main thing I do want to say is I thought the kids played hard. They gave 100% effort. I think there's things that got to be improved or this and that. And that's why we're talking. But uh, they haven't lost the locker room. I feel bad for them, but they can't dwell on it. they got to move on. I think Kendon uh, Solitz did a great job. I was really impressed by his composure, calm, so on. Some of the things that happened during the game was not his uh, fault, the four sacks and so on. And uh, I thought he had a great game. And Marquis Steps, uh, what can I say? We talked about him on Thursday night as I talked about him the entire offseason during spring practice and fall camps. He's a man, a man, he's a man's man. And uh, I don't understand why he's not getting more reps. As John McKay used to say, the ball ain't that damn heavy. Yeah. Uh, so Keaton Slovis, you're talking about, they love it when you mispronounce his name, Coach. I know we talked about it. What, what is his name? Keaton Slovis. I think you call him Kendon. Keaton, what do I call him? Kendon or something. Oh, yeah. well, hell. He yeah. knows who I mean. I, we know who you're talking about. Tell everybody, about. I'm sorry. Number nine. Number Yeah, so you, you know who uh, you're talking about. But I think uh, before we jump into the questions, there were some positives for sure. I mean, this is this is a crazy stat. We got this from Colin Cowherd. But the 19th, this will be now the 19th game in a row that USC failed to win the turnover margin. So in this game, there were no turnovers, so it was a draw. And so over that 19-game stretch, there's been a few games 
where they've been a draw, but most of the time USC's lost the turnover battle. But, you know, not turning the ball over was great. Not forcing a turnover wasn't so great, but, you know, only two penalties. Um, So some of that stuff, which were real problems, turnovers and penalties, especially on the road, at least that was cleaned up. And you got to see a marquee step uh, have a bigger role and and have a great uh, have a great game and just do, you know, do some powerful things out there, dragging bodies with him and things like that. So you saw that you saw, you know, step have a good game with uh, Keaton Slovis having a great game, playing well on the road, not turning the ball over like we've seen in the past. Amon Ross St. Brown. I mean, there were some some positive things for sure. But at the end of the day, and we get some questions about this. It's not about just playing well. You have to go out and win these games, and obviously that didn't happen for USC. No, unfortunately that didn't happen. They lost 30-27. to uh, They started off with a lot of great momentum in the first quarter and then lost it. They got outscored 17-zip in the second. Came back in the second half and outscored Notre Dame 24-13. Had an opportunity to win. Uh had a big defensive uh, series that was so important. I tweeted that out to some people. After it was 23-20, they needed a defensive stop. Had to have that defensive stop. The momentum was in their favor. But they allowed the offense to drive down, what, now some 97 yards and score a touchdown, which I thought really broke their back. So, you know, you've got to have certain times when you come up with the big player, the turnover and that makes a difference in the game. And there's so many topics I want to talk about here this morning, but I don't want to get into them because we have so many questions that I feel as though I'll be answering questions that are going to be asked about the officiating and the halftime situation and the penalties that were called. There wasn't a lot of penalties, but when it's called and what ones aren't called. So, you know, USC had two penalties for 44 yards, Notre Dame five for 45, with seven total penalties pretty clean game but I sort of thought that the Pac-12 officials were intimidated down there yeah uh I think you're right on that there's a bunch of questions on the officials one more thing before we jump into the questions coach um so Notre Dame average rushing yardage over the previous eight games heading into USC 153 yards per game last you know last night they had 308 yards uh on the ground so kind of crazy USC gave up a lot of rushing yards the the up-the-middle stuff, where I thought USC's defense has been great. Utah tried to, to rush up the middle and just had no – no. there was no uh, – there's no answers there. USC just was stoning them. Um, that wasn't the case. There was some some wide rushes, some rushes that got outside the defense uh, that, that caused problems for USC, but also up the middle. Uh, I don't know any concerns there, Coach, uh, giving up over 300 yards on the ground. Oh, a lot of concerns, because if you don't uh, fix that, the uh, next team's going to do the same thing. And why they're having troubles with that, they practice against teams that uh, are themselves that don't do those things, which I mean by that is pull your guards and lead tackles through and guards through and kick out with people. Power offense with athletic quarterbacks that get credit for running the ball or lead draw for or draw for a touchdown and third down uh, situations where he runs the football book and gets the first down. They never practice against that, so it's difficult for them to defend that. The power type of football, you're not ready to, a linebacker's not ready to take on a 300-pound guard pulling up the hold and not maybe knocking you down, but screening you where you can't even see the ball carry. When Hufanga tried to make that tackle on Jones, who went 33 or 43 yards, hell, the guy smothered him. He was on the ground and reached out with one arm to try to make the tackle. And if you don't practice against this type of stuff, and athletic quarterbacks, how do you defend it? How do you stop it? Because you don't see it. You're not used to being physical. You heard me, you heard me talk about that all the time. So it's difficult when you, when you practice against just plain man blocking in most situations and, and not a real uh, philosophy of running the football everywhere on the field with an athletic quarterback it's going to be impossible to win big games because you're going to see the same defense week after week after week, and you're going to start to see the same offenses the same way. All right, well, let's jump into the questions, Coach, because there's a lot. There's a lot to get to. Uh, We'll start off with an email from Ray in Florida. He said, no matter how you cut it, we lost, all caps. Listen to Clay Helton on the Locker Room Report with Pete Arbogast, and it's the same speech after a loss. We fought hard. I'm proud of the kids. Notre Dame was great. We get to the Pac-12 championship. 
We lost, Clay. There are no good losses. If we lose to Arizona State or Arizona or Colorado or, God forbid, UCLA, can we not afford to fire this very nice, ill-equipped bumpkin of a coach? Man, this is tough. Let's call a spade a spade. Recruiting depends on it. Who would want to come to play for this uh, loser? Jeez. Uh, I I know it's probably not airworthy, uh, but so is our alleged air raid. Thanks for saving me $100 on my therapist couch, uh, Ray in Florida. Man, Ray not very happy, Coach. Well, it was late in Florida, I guess, and uh, he was tired, and he's a true Trojan, and well, yeah, but you don't you want know, the personal attacks on stuff. So, I mean, I, I, I yeah, you know, know, I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, I, in fact, you know me, I, I don't even advocate firing or any of that. I don't discuss it, any of that stuff. I think that's the job of the administration, and they have to make those determinations. And then I can agree and give my opinion whether I like what happened, if they hired the right guy or they kept the right guy. So, I'm, I'm a guy, that, that more of a an opinion guy for all of our listeners out there, whether. They liked it, didn't like it, and I try to answer their questions. But, uh, yeah, you know, you can't sing the same song. That's why they come up with new records. People get tired of hearing that song, and you got to move on to the next one. And there's times where you have to be a little more objective on what everybody saw at the same game you were coaching. And, you know, as far as being involved and understanding uh, what happened in the game, both offensively and defensively, and the officiating, and all of those things, you don't always have to be a nice guy. And you can't all of a sudden change who you are uh, with uh, what's happening on the field with the players. So, you know, you got to just roll with it. And as a fan, you've got to take what you have. Wish them the best of luck. I really wanted them to win last night really badly. I really did back there. And for a period of time, they had the momentum going. They had taken the crowd out of the game. When Steph was running the football, he's so exciting that I think Notre Dame fans is, uh, enjoyed watching him run. I really do. And then when you say, and I know what he's saying, when you say, oh, he was exhausted carrying the ball 10 times for 85 yards. My goodness. How can you say that? He was the <laughs> back to practice the entire spring. Malapie was hurt. Carr was hurt. He ran every play almost. All fall camp, the same thing. He ran every play. He's probably the best conditioned back out there. And it's exciting to see him play and get his yards, but basically he's getting hit most of the times at the line of scrimmage and making big plays out of them. He's exciting to watch play. He brings excitement to the offense at USC. That's why everybody's asking, why not more? Why not more? Yeah. Uh, let's a little more positive email, Coach. Uh, this is from Michael from Newport. First off, Clay got those guys to play clean with only two penalties. Uh, really only should be one and no turnovers. If you would have told me that before the game, I say we would have won. Yeah, that's that's tough to imagine. One penalty or two penalties and no turnovers and you lose the game. He said, second, Keaton Slovis is a real leader and a good quarterback. Uh, guy hasn't played in about a month and looked pretty good. The question is, how can we look so focused this week and most other weeks be turning over the ball a ton and getting way too many penalties. Thanks if I'd on Michael from Newport. Maybe maybe a little bit Michael is having the bye week. You had some time to kind of get things right, but uh what do you think about that coach? Well, I think it's uh concentration and uh doing things the right way and giving the kids an opportunity to be confident in the way the game is called. Like you got to realize this holding on every play. Okay, it just depends if the if the crew wants to call it. But there wasn't any really fragrant type of penalties or things uh, except for one that I thought made a difference in the football game. And I hate to say uh, a play could have made a difference in a football game, but that roughing the passer penalty on number one, uh, I mean, that was absolutely ridiculous. The guys been watching too much NFL football. Okay. I mean, it wasn't even a, a target. It wasn't anything. And that continued to drive because it was a third down play and they got a score out of it. So I think that was absolutely ridiculous, that penalty. But, uh, you know, uh, you've got to, uh, I forget. What was the question? <laughs> I, I started rolling out when things hit me in the head. I got so much to talk about. Yeah, coach. No. So it was just about how can they be, how were they this focused this week and previous weeks? They looked real sloppy. Well, because the, they're prepared, they were confident. Uh, and, uh, in, uh, the quarterback situation, uh, a lot of those, uh, interceptions he threw wasn't his fault. 
I mean, yeah, he made bad decisions, but he was hurried on his throw, and he threw in the middle where they're dropping the linebackers back. There were three guys around guys he threw the football to, which is poor judgment, and they say we got to clean it up. It was the quarterback's fault because he didn't do his reads right. Well, you've got to be able to keep those guys away if you're going to throw the ball in there by doing different type of things to open up zones, to make an open area where the receivers can work to the open area or get man coverage where you can you know, throw a fade route like they did and throw the ball down the field like I've been telling them to do all along. They threw three balls down the field pretty well last night, one for a touchdown to Brown, one to Tyler Vaughn, and one was just almost a touchdown, but they don't attempt to do that. And they got to do that, and they got to throw the ball to the middle of the field, which they never do, never. They just see the way Notre Dame used their tight end all the time, inside drags, uh, split out, you know, mismatches, uh, comebacks, outright routes where you can't cover the big guy. Uh, you, know, you, know, you don't even use the tight ends. That's why I don't even know why they're in the game. Well, that actually, Cromanoke uh, had five catches in this one, so that was yeah, all in the second half. You know, when they finally did listen to my tweets. Yeah, I I think that's what they were doing, Coach. They were like, "Huh, he was as far as like uh, leading receivers goes. He had you know, Alman Ross Alman Ross St. Brown had eight for 112 and a touchdown, uh, but Cromanoke had five catches for 37 yards. That so wasn't a ton, but he had the second most catches. Tyler Vaughn's had four for 47. Pittman had four for 29. Really. Not much going on with Pittman. Only two for Carr, 21, and, and Vivai had uh, had one. So it was a really weird kind of distribution. But Notre Dame hadn't given up. Uh, they've only given up one 200-yard passer all year. That was to Virginia. Slovis had 255 yards and a couple of touchdowns. So, um, But, you know, there's some positives. But this next uh, voicemail doesn't want us to focus on any kind of moral victories. Let me play it for you. Hey, everybody. It's Don in Chicago uh, calling after the Notre Dame game. And uh, I hope there's no Trojan fans who are feeling good because we played it close. There's no moral victories in football. Yeah, the kids played hard, but we, we uh, missed a ton of tackles. And again, with the talent we have, we were outcoached again. So now we're 3-3 three and three after 5-7 and seven season last year. It's just completely unacceptable to true Trojan fans. And frankly, Notre Dame isn't that good. You know, you look at them and you look at Bama. I mean, Bama would blow them out, just like they're going to blow us out next year. Uh, how much are we going to lose by in that game? 30, 40? You pick a number. We've dropped so far from the elite that people, it's like Trojan fans have accepted it. The bar has been so lowered that, frankly, I could jump over it. And I ain't no spring chicken. I watched OJ play in the Rose Bowl. So let's fire Helton and hire Urban Meyer. He's actually done the job before. He's taken three programs uh, and uh, turned them into national champions. He's made them great. And with USC's talent and Urban Meyer at the helm, it would only take us a year or two. Love the show. Again, Don in Chicago. Thanks. Well, thank you very much for your question. You know, I think I touched on a lot of this last week. I'm not sure if it was this show or other shows, but it all starts at the top, okay? Starts with the trustees, starts with the president. She looked like she was having a good time on the sideline. I don't know what she could see down there, but uh, she was visible, trying to support the team. But you got to know what the game's all about and what it brings to the university, such as a prideful guy like yourself and what it means to the uh, alumni, and what it means to uh, the football world, and what it really means to Pac-12. Because the backbone of the Pac-12 is USC Trojan football, the exposure that it brings, and the national recognition that it has. And I have to agree with you right now, the standard or, or the subpar performances and the records and so on is not really what, what Trojans really want. But the way it starts is from someone up above knowing what they're doing and hiring an athletic director that knows what he's doing and making a commitment to the coach that they'll allow him to do what he needs to do. If he wants to clean house completely, he cleans house completely. If he wants to be in on the interviewing of the athletic director, he's included as far as if you want to bring in an Urban Meyer or you want to bring a Tom Herman 
with the athletic director from Texas as a pair. Or you've got to you've got to make a statement if you're going to make a change. If you just make a change, what good does that do? You got to make a change where local players again and national players who are great players want to come to USC. Yeah, because you don't out coach anybody. Coaching makes a lot of difference. But when you have great players that can win, and I, I think that USC has some players that can play, you got to put them in a position where they can utilize their talents, put them in formations, running games, series, blocking schemes, defenses, and all of the things that make your team successful. Short yardage offense, goal line type of situations, going under center, remembering the quarterback sneak, all the different things, huddles on big important plays things that somehow have become forgotten. And uh, during a bye week, uh, being physical. And uh, their bye week was not physical last week. It was more or less, let's get healed up, guys. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that doesn't get it done. You've got to be able, and I think, and I'm not, I'm not a doctor, but I think a lot of injuries come because you're not, your body's not conditioned to hitting anybody. I mean, uh, your shoulder pads, or this, or that. You know, you got to hit a little bit uh, to keep your body in shape. You go two weeks, you don't hit anybody, and you're going to get banged up. But your body becomes conditioned to car wrecks, okay? It was what a, each play is like is an automobile accident if you're hitting anybody. And also, you got to be in the right position in the right place to make the proper tackle, too. And that's the job of the coaches and the job of the coaches to move the football by taking advantage of the talent you have and who should be in the game. Yeah. Speaking of that, Coach, we had a question from Jared in Idaho. It was a text he sent in. Um, has anyone heard Clay Elton speak about his philosophy of using so many running backs? Coach, it would seem when facing all of these really soft fronts week after week, the blueprint is to hand it to your 235-pound battering ram of a running back 30 times a game and make them stop it, correct? Helton has done this. Uh, I think he says Helton has hasn't done this since he's been at USC. It was frustrating when Rojo was having to share the ball so much, uh, but it's insane that Marquis Step is third in the rotation when he's clearly the best running back. I'm sick of the make everyone happy backfield approach. Feed your best running back. You guys are awesome, by the way, Jared in Idaho. Well, Garrett, thank you very much. Well, I'm a guy that says. Uh... You know, I'm going to put my best players on the field and put them in a position where they can be successful. And with uh, the three backs that USC has, I would think you'd be able to make them all three successful by what they do. As far as running the football with uh, scissor type of action, bootlegs out of that action, scissor type of action, play action pass, scissor type of action uh, uh, with uh, the slot coming around with the jet sweep. Uh, blast type of play, sweep type of plays, bootleg actions, keep the defense on the backside aware that you do have something coming back. Uh, things that really make sense, and why not have two backs in the backfield? You hear me talk about this all the time, Ryan. I mean, you take the teams that run this offense in the country that have non-athletic quarterbacks. Washington State is 3-3, three and three, Texas Tech is 3-3, three and three, and USC is 3-3. Three and three. Now, if you take the top teams in the country, and you know who they are. I don't have to name them and all the great quarterbacks. They're all up for Heisman trophies. They all run the quarterbacks. Yeah, Arizona State last night, their quarterback, freshman quarterback, Daniels, you know, runs up and down the field and throws the football. He's so athletic that you can't stop it all, but they're one back offense with Benjamin. But they really have two backs. And I've been talking about this for how long I've been talking about being able to do this. Because all they do is key on the one back. You know where he's going. I mean, it's ridiculous. I mean, if he's away or towards you. Because you don't, you know that the quarterback's not going to come back. So he's going to always go away from the quarterback. Because the quarterback's going to hand him the ball or play action pass. And the quarterback really never holds anybody on the backside because he never carries the football. So I think you've got to be able to sit down in, in your mind and say, what's going on around here? Such a, such a short yardage. Offense, when you have a back five yards deep and he has to run five yards to get to the line of scrimmage and they know you're going to give him the football because the quarterback's not going to carry it and they're pinching everybody and submarining everybody, hell, they're hitting uh, 
Marquise in the backfield by one yard. It's because of his strength that he bounces off and bounces around and gets a shove or he does it on his own to get in the end zone and get the first down. Just doesn't make sense to me. And when you ask the question, Ryan, and I asked you on the show, what do they say when you ask that? And they say, well, we don't do it that way. Well, what do you mean? What the hell are you thinking about? <laughs> you better do it that way because you've got people, if you go to a two-back set and go under center and you run blast and play-action pass and drag your tight ends and do different things, you cause havoc, especially when you can play-action pass off for a kid like that. So, you know, I think sometimes that everything isn't on the same page. We have a little bit of 31 flavors again as we did in the past. Yeah. We got one uh, email from Ryan in Virginia. He said, hello, Ryan and Peristyle crew. At the beginning of the fourth quarter, Mike Tirico and Doug Flutie both noted that Clay Helton spent the majority of the commercial break at the end of the previous quarter barking at the officials about the roughing the passer call. First, I'll stipulate that was a bad flag as as per usual for the Pac-12 crew. However, supposedly the mantra of this team is, quote, so what, now what? If that is indeed the case then it would seem to me that the time would have been better spent trying to coach slash scheme with his own players and coaches rather than argue a penalty that cannot be rescinded in what was at the time a one-score game. Am I wrong to think that a Nick Saban, uh, Pete Carroll, or Urban Meyer would have been more focused on making sure his units were dialed in schematically given the task at hand? Thanks for all you do. Ryan from Virginia. Well, Ryan, first of all, if you're spending all that time complaining about the call after the game, you thought it was a good call. So I don't know what you were talking about uh, during the game because that's his code. Am I correct? Well, he says, I don't think he said it was a good call. He'll say things like they have a tough job and, and you know, he's, but he's not going to say anything negative about the officials post game, but he was obviously upset during the game. Yeah. But he didn't say like, you know, they screwed that up or whatever. Well, he didn't say that, but uh, I don't know where I saw that quote or something. You know, somebody said he thought it was a good call. But, uh, yeah, you've got to be controlled. When you panic and go ballistic, you're not, you're not accomplishing anything. Because what's going to happen is uh, your team starts to panic a little bit. You've got to be in control of your offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and you've got to move on. The game moves on. Uh, you got to you can't you got to stay focused on what the next procedure is. Have the next play. What are we going to do? Uh, and then there's times on the sideline when you're not talking with the team and so on. You can jaw at them. And I think sometimes you uh, you can tell them, hey, I do this for a living. You do this part time. And uh, you know I'm on the bubble here, kid. And you better get yourself together out there. I mean, you've got to be able to talk to officials too, where they know you mean what you're saying, but. In most cases, at least I had the opportunity when I was a head football coach to grade the officiating crew. And if the officiating crew does not get good grades, they're in trouble too. So I think you got to let them know that, hey, I'm going to be grading you on the way home on the plane. And, uh, and, and, and you know, maybe you can intimidate or get, all you want is the fair game and call right on both sides of the football. That's all you want and make the calls that are necessary. But, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. You've got to be settled down and can't let your coaches and sideline get panicked because you're the image of the football team. How your team plays to who you are, what your personality is, who you are. And uh, you can't be a phony because that team reads you. All right, we've got another voicemail question. Here you go. Rick from Lomrata, I think all you guys do a great job. I'll keep it quick. Uh, just want to ask, are you guys as exhausted as I feel? I mean, every year, every summer, it seems the same thing. Recruits quit that have loved USC forever. I mean, there's the same thing, press conference, same no. I mean, it's just too much. It's exhausting. Our our recruiting classes are falling apart every year, getting worse. It's very sad, and I have no idea how they can fix it other than pulling in a major move, like a Mike Tomlin maybe, to grab the reins, or what do you guys think? Thank you. Well, you know, 
obviously, if you make a change, you don't want to put glue on it. You know, you want to make a change that makes an impact and you know it's going to be successful. But you don't BS anybody. You don't BS the fans. You don't BS the players. The players know who can get it done. And you can't come up with excuses on why you can't hire this person or that person. That's ridiculous. I mean, you make a statement, this is who we're hiring. We don't know what his baggage is in the past. We don't care. We've examined it, but we're moving on to a future. And at USC, we're a private university, and we'll hire who we want, and we'll pay them how much we want, because it means that much to us. You can't worry about what everybody thinks, okay? You know, most fans don't really enjoy USC. They like to see USC lose, and uh, because they, as Mike Garrett said it, they wish they were a Trojan. Now, I'm not saying all of you wish you were a Trojan or not, but that's the attitude that Trojans have. And that's why they have such a strong backing as all of you callers are calling in and making the comments that you're making. And and I think that you've got to be able to be strong in making the decisions in the best interest of the university. And you've got to have people that are making these type of decisions that know what it takes to win at this level. Now, they've hired a search firm to go out and hire the athletic director. Well, that's fine. What I would think somebody on campus would know who might be a qualified athletic director. They they belong to committees, uh, the NCAA. They know all the athletic directors in their conference. They communicate all the time. Wouldn't you have an idea on who might fit this guy? You're going to go out and pay a firm, whatever they pay them, to tell you who the three best guys are? I mean, have an idea on who the best three are now. You know, maybe you have an abundance of money and you just want to get their opinion. Okay. But what best fits you on what your goals are here? And remember, there aren't too many athletic directors in the country that you can name as a fan or whatever you want to call yourself. But you do know all the head football coaches, okay? And you don't know all the president's names either. You just happen to know when you read it or you see them or whatever. So the image of the front page of a paper where you have an article every single day on your school during six months of the year, it's a football program, okay? So you better have somebody and have an article that people want to read and get interested back into the program. Otherwise, all this renovation and all that means nothing. It means nothing, but it doesn't attract anybody. Everybody has great venues now. Everybody has McKay centers. Everybody has all that stuff. And some of them have better. So what they do have, USC has, is tradition, academics, and great pride. And I think the pride has really been hurt now among the Trojan football alumni and fans. Yeah. All right, why don't we uh, take a quick break? We'll come back. we got a bunch more questions to get to. Back in a minute. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Let's go to an email from Mario in Tucson. He titled it, Should Have Run the Ball. He says, how many times have we seen this scenario? USC was on Notre Dame's nine-yard line with third and five yards to go. Why not just give the ball to Marquis Step? He seems to be the most consistent every time he touches the ball. And the defense uh, predicts and knows what USC normally does, throws the fade. The situation is getting old. Thanks for your show, Mario in Tucson. Well, Mario, I think we sort of uh, hit on that. Yeah. But it's but it's the uh, same thing we see every week, and and uh, as you asked that question that I talked to you about on Thursday, their answer is they don't do that. So I mean, that's a pretty general question. Why don't you do that? Why wouldn't you when everybody else does that? Uh, what is your percentage down there, and why? And what do you do this for? And you know, that's why I don't go to press conferences. Because uh, I'd get myself in trouble asking certain questions, and I don't want to do that because I've been on the other end. But there's, it's almost like you really don't know why you don't do it. 
And that's what really is scary. Why don't you do it? Why don't you do certain things uh, offensively, defensively? When they have no answers, I'm sort of scared. That's like going to a doctor and saying, I'm going to have surgery. Could you tell me why you're doing this? And he says, I'm not quite sure. Or I don't know why. Man, that's scary. Don't want to hear that. <laughs> no, that is that is a little scary, Coach. Um, what? Let's go to an email from Frank at Sacramento. Uh, what's with the Pac-12 refs cheating? Wow, this is a blatant, uh, blatant cheating from Frank at Sacramento. Cheating uh, USC, even when they're across the country. We all saw at least two pass interference no calls on the Irish ending key drives right in front of the refs. There was, uh, yeah, two... The first two passes that went to uh, Tyler Vaughn's uh, looked like he was interfered with both times and they didn't call. Um, I thought that the Pac-12 refs only hated USC when they were playing in conference. Frank in Sacramento. Well, I agree with you on those two calls that should have been pass interference. I don't know what pass interference is. If it's not, I think even the announcers made a comment on that. No, I think, yeah, there was the bad calls were pretty much agreed upon by Mike Tirico, um, you know Doug Flutie, and I forget who the officiating expert was, but yeah, they and they were like, yeah, that look that could be pass interference. I believe, uh, I, I believe they even commented on those. And of course, the uh, the one we already talked about, the uh, roughing the passer on Pelier Naoteote that did not look late, did not look um, where he slammed his body down. So I, I think everyone was pretty much in agreement that the uh, Pac-12 officials were uh, incorrect. Well, that's what I said at the opening of the show. I said it, you know, wasn't a lot of penalties in the game, but it's the ones you don't call. And the one you do call, what effect they have on the game. And I think that's part of what we're talking about now. And uh, it's a shame that, uh, that we are talking about officials like this, but it's a livelihood and the difference in a big traditional football game. And uh, you've got to be able to make the right calls and not be afraid to throw that flag, even if you're on the road in a hostile area. Don't worry, they'll have a helicopter and fly you out if you need to. But make the right calls. Make the right calls. Yeah. And I think it's not fair to the coaches or the players, and you're being paid to do a job. Yeah, and did do it very well uh, last night. But I, I don't, I'm not one of the people that says, oh, that's why USC lost. It's like, you know, you lost anyway. But the you'd rather have it officiated better. Um, but I don't think you can use that as an excuse. Uh, here's another voicemail for you, Coach. Hello, Peristyle. This is Big E in Northern California. Hey, I got a question for the coach. Um, I noticed during the game there were some critical conversions by Notre Dame, especially near the end of the game. There was one time where a player was actually stopped with about third and one, but he bounced and rolled into they gave him the mark. Is there someone on the coaching staff that actually kind of looks for that and tries to stay on top of that with the coach? It seems like Helton was complaining with the coaches with the refs a lot, but uh just wondering, so let me know. Big E and NorCal. Thanks. Bye, Don. Uh, I think he's asking, is there someone on the sideline or coaching staff that marks the spot for the officials? I'm the, is yeah, that what he's asking? Coach, I'm not sure. Big E's like, uh, I, I thought he was talking about giving up third down conversions, but in this case, he was talking about one where it looked like the play was short, but then they gave him the first down. If there's someone that would watch that to try to review it, may, maybe that's what he was talking about. I'm not exactly sure. Well, I don't know, and I don't even know. I think that's reviewable. I do. I don't know. They change everything all the time. But if it was something that you could challenge, I certainly would. It makes a difference in the football game and a, and a possession change. But uh, I, I don't know. You know, those are very touchy, and sometimes I wonder, how do they spot the football? Everybody's so piled up there and everything, it's hard to really see. So I think they do the best job that they can. But uh, you know, it's it's difficult. And also, when did his momentum stop? Or when did they blow the whistle? Because sometimes you think the whistle should be blown and the guy gets out of it and keeps running. So it's hard. And if a guy puts a hit on him, uh, then he might be uh, penalized. So it gets a little confusing sometimes on when, uh, you know, when the, uh, the play is over and when you can put a hit or when you can't. And it's a difficult call for the officials. I can see that. Because it's very difficult to see. It was difficult to see, so it's hard to say. And I, I think someone tweeted me a picture where it looked like it was uh, clearly short, where the runner was down, but then they gave him the first down, and there wasn't any kind of review. So maybe that's what Biggie was talking about. But sorry, 
Sorry, Biggie. Be a little more clear next time when you call in. Uh, we weren't exactly sure what you were saying. Um, Dan wrote in, not our Dan Weber, but a different Dan, just another horrible USC effort. Obviously, the team was not prepared. Should we be surprised that Notre Dame was going to run the football? Not the first time they were poorly prepared. How much longer do we have to watch this dumpster fire? Can anyone say tackling? I bet you can. That's from Dan. Well, Dan, we sort of talked about this earlier, but I don't want to ignore your question. When you face something you don't see all the time and you don't have physical practices and you're going against guys that are 6'6", 6'7", 300 pounds and pulling and misdirections and pulling their guards and play action passing and it's hard to do all those reads you can go through it with your scout team but your scout team isn't them and you're not hitting live to be able to react and get out of it and do the different things that are necessary you know uh john houston or houston's a good football player everything outside but running at him straight on it's very difficult so you know he's not physical enough so they pick these things out and they know who they want to attack and how they can get the isolations on the correct person that they want to block. And uh, they do this. It's a, it's their job. It's their science to do this and to pick somebody up and, and make sure they take advantage of that. And every time they substitute, they know that there's tendencies here and there and say every time USC might substitute when they put Malapai in because they want to run the shovel pass or whatever. Why? I mean, a kid steps can't catch a five-yard pass up the middle. I mean, you can't have tendencies like that. You've got to be able to do everything with everybody on the field and uh, do it well. So I think we've talked about that. And again, the athletic quarterback, look how many plays quarterbacks have made plays against USC's defense. As far as keeping the football, Fresno's guy ran ran all day outside. And Book did it last night on on a touchdown. And big plays he converted by being an athletic quarterback. Now, you don't have to be an athletic quarterback at USC, but give the guy a chance with play-action pass, moving the pocket. He's a good thrower. Get him out where he has time to see his receivers, drags, crossing routes, middle of the field, use your backs down the middle of the field. Every back route that they run at USC is a swing route. It's a swing. I've never seen the guy do anything different than that. Yeah. All right, well, we got one last... uh... Email for you, Coach. It's from our friend Trojan the Barber. So, we had an extra week to prepare for Notre Dame, and we still lose. How is it, uh, with all of our weapons on offense, we still can't score more than 27 points against Notre Dame? Can we please stop this dumpster fire of a coaching staff and bring in a professional? I like Clay Helton. He's a great guy. But he does not know what it takes to run a premier program. I mean, he learned under Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin, both failed head coaches. Boy, this is going to be a long season. Fight on, I guess, Trojan the Barber. Um, I think it's an interesting point, though. You do have a bye week. You have all that talent on offense, and you you can't get four touchdowns. It's, uh, you know, I, I think that's fallen a little short. Three points in the first half is certainly not good enough. No, it's not good enough, and it's a different philosophy than people are used to. You know, USC is is uh, the varsity for Wisconsin, the JV team, okay? They've taken that model that John McKay had, John Robinson had, and they've done it with Barry Alvarez, started it at Wisconsin. When they line up, they get the huge linemen. All three four-star guys, none of them, some are two-star guys. They redshirt them all. They teach them exactly what's going on. They pound the ball. They pound the ball. They get a great, ta- great uh, tailback and tailor. And Ron Dane, who has the world uh, rushing record as far as in college football, he carried the ball more than 10 times a game. And they just power you, power you, power you, and their defense stays off the field, rest. They've shut out four teams. The defense gets turnovers, scores touchdowns, plays sound defense, and they're tough. You know why they're tough? Because they go against that offense all the time. My God. So they're really a good football team. And the offense, uh, part of Wisconsin, a play-action pass, which uh, USC's quarterback could do awesome. He would be great at that type of stuff. But they've got away from that, the physical type of offense that and defense that USC used to be. They used to run a base. They didn't have to stunt and do all these different things. They had guys that would light up at a 54 and come after you, and you couldn't block them anyway. 
and they've got away from that now. They haven't got that type of player like Drake Jackson. If they need a, they need a one on both sides of the line of scrimmage, both ends. This kid's going to be a great player, but they got to have him everywhere, not just one spot. And uh, I feel sort of like one of our uh, earlier callers when they said people are running right at him, and they are. And they, it's discouraging when you can't stop people when that's happening, and you lose your confidence as a football team. But again, you have to do things that allow your players to be successful at the same time. But uh, they're soft, and uh, they're soft because they're not physical in practice, and they run more of a soft type of offense. And uh, you can't win major championships unless you run the football. Uh, yeah, I might be old school, but watch the great teams that are playing. You don't think Oklahoma can run the football? Watch them. Watch how Herbs run, uh, Hertz, Galen Hurts runs. Watch how their backs run. Look how their receivers are tied in with their offense and what's going on. You don't think they can run at Alabama or Clemson? They run the football, and they all know they don't talk it. They do it. They have a complete offense. So, you know, these are just some of the things that you have to be able to be aware of. And like I said, what's scary is sometimes you wonder when they say that's not what we do. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all of our questions, Coach. Did we touch on everything that you wanted to discuss? Or is there something else that, uh, you know, a little uh, little something that's itching your brain that you need to chat about uh, as far as this USC game goes? Yeah, I, I want to say this for uh, our fans, uh, USC fans, and I'm, we probably have Notre Dame people that are listening. The little halftime uh, scuffle that happened, I think that's Bush League. First of all, they come out of a tunnel that's 15 to 20 feet wide where they can get uh, off the field, and USC's tunnel is one at a time. takes half the halftime to get your team in the locker room. I know Pete Carroll's philosophy was we're going to beat the team off the field and on the field. If you ever remember Pete Carroll's team, they ran right off the field. They were all up the tunnel before the visiting team even got near the tunnel. They wanted their teams to feel, or the other team to feel like, hey, they can't wait to get back out here. Well, you got to be able to demonstrate that type of stuff. And Notre Dame, and I hate to use this term, that's sort of Bush League, okay? You renovate your stadium and you don't fix that. You leave that the same way. At least you put some type of artificial turf in. I don't know what kind it is. But I remember the Charlie Wise day when Desmond Reed uh, popped a nerve in his ankle and could never play again because of the mud and the long grass on the field. Is, is that safety? Is that smart? Is that good sportsmanship? I don't think it is. And when that happened, it sort of reminded me of that Desmond Reed because he's out of Temple City High School. I emceed a banquet when he was the San Gable Player of the Year. Reggie Bush was on that team, and they had great speed. Desmond Reed was the number one kickoff return and punt return guy in the country, and then he can't play anymore ever. Those type of things bother me, yet I give credit to their program and their loyalty of their fans and uh, all of the things, the 12-1 season last year, and again, they're off to another great season. But Notre Dame doesn't have to be that way. Notre Dame can have the same tunnel, same thing, same locker rooms that everybody else has when you visit their program. That's what I want to close with because I'm a football coach and I know the distractions that that happen when you're trying to prepare at halftime and what every minute means when you go in the locker room and preparing and making coaching changes or not coaching changes but adjustments. And when you have those type of scuffles and you have to penalize both teams uh, so the next person that gets a personal foul is tossed out of the game. That's Bush League. Yeah, that was a little crazy. And you couldn't really see it on the broadcast until afterwards. But uh, following along on Twitter, like Keeley and Shotgun were tweeting about it since they were there. It was like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. No, it is. And I hate to close negatively like that on Notre Dame. They they won the football game 30-27. to 27. But we don't need those type of distractions. We don't need those type of, you, you know, things that uh, – give you a home field advantage, supposedly. I mean, you have enough home field advantage just with your crowd and your team and your tradition and the pageantry of such a great game. So I hate to see those things happen, okay? Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff. Uh, and I would bitch about it, too. And if I was coaching, I'd go to my AD and I'd bitch about it. Yeah. 
I would. Now, you know, you can't sit back and say, oh, they're just great people. Oh, yeah, they're great people, but this is a fair. When they come to the Coliseum next year, after we take the field, or when they go out, we're going to put a fence up there where they can only put one guy out at a time. We'll have the door, you know, like the airport security thing, where they can come out one time and you know, make sure nobody's carrying a weapon. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I don't know, I don't know if uh, – that's a, usually um... – Clay Elton's personality to kind of complain about stuff like that, but who knows? We'll see. Well, I'd go right to my AD. I mean, that's that's not right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You shouldn't have those type of problems. They shouldn't have them. All right. Well, that's the Coach Harvey Hyde. Thanks again, Coach, for uh, coming on. Oh, thank you very much. And for all of you out there that call in and email us and text and do all of that, we really appreciate it. And and I always like to say this for Ryan, because Ryan's a good guy and doesn't say it. It's only our opinion. We appreciate you a lot. And uh, we enjoy doing this. And if you can follow me at Coach Harvey Hyde, you'll always know what I'm doing. And if you're an Instagram person, uh, why don't you just follow me uh, on Instagram, too? I don't know how many of you do, do that stuff, but uh, it's Coach uh, Harvey Hyde. Just yeah. Coach Harvey Hyde. Nice. So, uh, buddy, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. And for all of you out there, have a great weekend. What's right. left of it? Sounds good. Thank you, Coach. Thank you, everyone else there listening to the Peristyle Podcast. Uh, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats.